Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. What up, what up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. WrestleMania 36, night one is over. And joining me is another old-time partner of mine, Jason Hagholm. What's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Just, uh, it's WrestleMania week. We finished night one, and then I've had the, a couple hours, a lot more than a couple hours, to absorb the show but all in all thought it was a fun first night and man i missed three hour pay-per-views <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a major takeaway that that was pretty easy to watch because it was only three hours so uh just want to make note that this uh this podcast is sponsored by bet online also uh i mentioned that jason isn't yet another partner we had big d on earlier in the week to do a preview of this show and uh, John was on with me on Thursday. So it's like everybody that I've recorded with, you know, and John is my my normal partner these days, but everybody I've ever recorded a, a podcast with has been on this week. And I think this makes, um, gosh, if you count, if we count the uh, WrestleMania recap podcast that I'm doing with the, uh, the other Blue Wire wrestling podcast, I think this is like podcast number four. Uh, four of the week and then i'm gonna do another one after wrestlemania night too so pretty busy overall you know five and eight days or whatever so we're, we're busy here we're, we're spitting out as much stuff as uh, humanly possible for wrestlemania week but um let, let's just dive in here because i think the thing that i was a little trepidatious about this show was of course how do you do empty arena wrestling and in a big on a big stage raw uh has been decent aew has been sometimes good and sometimes you know not as good smackdown i i just don't get smackdown at this point but um but yeah like i was kind of wondering okay how do you do it i get how you do it on tv but how do you do it on this big stage and what could you do differently? And, you know, they had they had some pretty good storytellers in the ring, but they also had some that, you know, that really didn't didn't hit. So uh, overall coming in, were your expectations fairly low or did you sort of grade this as you would have graded a normal show? Uh, I think my expectations were like most people like it's going to be low. But I also had the expectations of this is WWE and it's WrestleMania, like their biggest show and the biggest show in uh, wrestling for any year that even though, yes, it was at the Performance Center and they're not going to have, you know, the fireworks or what have you. I thought they'd maybe dress the setup a little bit differently than, you know, making it feel like your typical Raw or a SmackDown. And they didn't do that, which I think hurt how, you know the early goings of the show because i thought they were really struggling out the gate like they eventually got themselves lined up on track but yeah didn't have the highest of high expectations going in 
but I'd say by the time night one was over, I was like in a real positive mood. So when you set those expectations low, sometimes uh, a promotion or a product can hit them out of the park because the, the bar set so low. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and uh, you know, I think that's part of the reason why most folks were OK with the shows, because we came in with uh, super low expectations. I sort of felt like uh, there, there were co- there were two matches that I thought were going to be good, and it's just because of the workers involved. So Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn, and then Seth Rollins and uh, Kevin Owens. But I didn't really know what else to expect from the other matches. Um, and I think you know, I think one thing that we learned is if you do your normal match that you'd have done in front of a television audience. Probably is not going to work on this setting. Uh, I think there were, I would say the first two matches were like that. Uh, you know, the the tag match with, with the four women to open the show. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the uh, Gulak and Cesaro match. Did you watch that one? I did. I mean, it was in the midst of uh, organizing dinner, but I saw the, the finish of the match and I thought this, the airplane spin with no hands from Cesaro, amazing. So that definitely got me... Uh, a good pop early on. I mean, obviously, from what I caught as well, uh, Cesaro and Gulak, these are two technicians that can, you know, work a solid match anytime. It was good, and it was, I guess, the first to see how the vibe would be of WrestleMania, though that whole pre-show was really a waste of time, considering it's just the one match you want if you wanted to see it. So you, for tomorrow, if you aren't watching the pre-show, you don't need to, if you really, unless you really want to see Natalia versus Liv Morgan. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's really a waste of time. It was just Corey Graves and Peter Rosenberg back in the studios, and I believe Connecticut just running down the show. Better than Sam Roberts. That's all I will say. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're good at their job. It was, it's just your typical old school countdown where obviously they don't have the arena or anything to be in. But, uh, you know, obviously if this was the normal WrestleMania, a lot of those matches would be on the pre-show uh, with like a four match because the card would be seven hours. But yeah, Sara Gulak was fine. But yeah, no Sam Roberts. And kind of nice to see Rosenberg back in WWE. Ro- the last time I saw Rosenberg, he was in a, a little bit of a, a spat on Twitter with Jay Electronica over Jay's new album. Well, well, I mean, he's he's in a spat about a lot of things usually, <laughs> especially in the hip hop world. But uh, hey, he's back in WWE and seemed to be enjoying it. Had good chemistry with Graves. So I guess the other the other takeaway I mentioned, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't like about, or I don't think that's going to be good when it comes to the matches. But the set, the, another thing is, I think. Uh, being vocal is good. Not not only the grunts and the groans, though you heard the grunts and the groans a lot more. And I think they they meant you know the the impact of the moves when you heard the grunt and the groans, it was it was good. But the other thing is just being vocal. Like I really liked it when uh, Jimmy Uso and Kofi were talking smack to each other in the ring. I liked it when Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins were talking smack to each other in the ring it made you it was almost like um uh you know sometimes you you the nba will mic up 
guys, you know, they, they don't do it live because you don't know when someone's going <laughs> to curse or whatever, but they'll mic up guys and then they'll replay it and you'll hear Draymond, you know, talking to someone going to the free throw line and he's like, you know, you better make this shot, man. You know, your team's depending on you or something like that. And, and, and you, you kind of feel a little bit closer to the action. I thought, so I thought that worked, you know, when you don't have the crowd and when you have the announcers you're doing their best to kind of be entertaining in, in in a way and not really say anything about what's going on in the world is kind of hard, I guess. But I really liked the, when the wrestlers were vocal and I really liked when the physicality showed on their faces uh, and showed in the work. Now, you know, that's sort of what that strong style is and, and not everyone likes to work that way. But I but those matches where, you know, I, I was like, Daniel Bryan is you know, it looks like he's hitting Sami Zayn, right? It looks like he's punishing Sami Zayn. Kevin Owens, it looks like he really wants to to hurt Seth. So all of those things were, were positives. And I, and I hope that, um, you know, it's all post-produced, right? So it's not like they could learn from night one. But I, but I hope that uh, as they build the card towards the end tomorrow night, that the the matches that are more like that are kind of near near the end, um, but uh, but yeah. So let's just go through uh, let's go through the, the the eight matches you you mentioned the um, the uh, the Gulak and Cesaro match. So let's start with the opener, which was the uh, the tag team titles. So we had Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross against the Kabuki Warriors. And I liked a lot of the work in this match. And I think if there was a crowd, this would have been a pretty darn good match. Now, I will tell you the thing that I didn't like, and and you can tell me your thoughts on that. But um, uh, Alexa Bliss, when when you compared her to the other three women, it is very clear that she is a peg or two below them when it comes to in-ring work. She's just not believable in any way, including her finisher, uh, which which won the match for the team. The other thing I didn't like was, um, now, a hot tag in a match with no crowd is just kind of weird because that sort of sets the... You, you want that crowd to really pop when the baby faces make the hot tag. And so you couldn't do that, and and I get it, you know. But you know the, the the hot tag in general in tag team matches is a staple, right? But there was a couple times I think when Nikki Cross made the hot tag in this match, and you know she sort of like dove to do the tag, and and you know it just it was just like well why like you could you literally could have just walked over to Alexa and tagged her and you know so the, I thought that was a little off but um otherwise you know the 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 work was good I just this was the one match where I I think I just missed the crowd the most because I think if there was a crowd I think the match would have been pretty darn good yeah I thought this was a really good match like to start the night off I thought it was a solid, you know, those te- those two, those four women were working real hard. But I think for me, it was just the contrast. Obviously, the no crowd not there, but just it felt like I could just I was expecting Michael to be like, ah, 
can Nikki Cross survive? Find out. We'll take a quick break. I was like, expecting a, a commercial breaker <laughs> in there or something. It just felt like raw. And like maybe that was just me needing more time to adjust to, to the layout or everything. But I I mean, heck, we had a lot of commercials on this network feed. Uh, but God, that was killing me all yeah, day. It was killing a lot of people. But I, I was just expecting a commercial break. It just felt like raw. And I think I had to adjust to you know, this is WrestleMania. It's the biggest show. You know, they'll find their rhythm, and eventually they did. But yeah, I thought they were working great. And I think someone that's really benefited the most out of uh, the no crowd is like an Asuka, because it really, they're getting her personality over much more with what she says in Japanese in the ring and her mannerisms and what have you. I think she's benefited the most. But the start of the match where it was Kairi and uh, Alexa kind of doing that back and forth uh, taunting to each other. All I could think of was Jim Cornette, like, oh, outlaw mud show. Like, all I could think of him was him <laughs> thinking that. Watch This is WrestleMania turned into an outlaw mud show or something like that. So, but yeah, I thought, you know, they built to the finish those those saves that both Oscar uh, and uh, uh, Alexa hit to in the match where they, like, Nikki Cross got nailed right in the spine and Michael Cole was like talking about oh maybe her her arms are hurt I'm like maybe her back is broken <laughs> because it was like right in the square of the spine but yeah I thought all of those four women went back and forth it was a good match and then uh, as you said uh, Nikki or Alexa hit the finish and there's new women's tag champs yeah, the finish looked really weak, too. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess generally that finish is, is kind of weak because it's literally just like falling on someone and in, in, in a splash without... She doesn't even really jump up. She kind of jumps out. Uh, but it, it looked weak because she also landed on like the lower half of Kyrie's body. So, yeah. Didn't 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 start didn't start great from that standpoint, but I respected what they did, and and it you know it's hard. Like I, I watching this match, I was going, man, this is really hard to do this empty arena wrestling. But as we saw, you know, along uh, the rest of the show, the you know the the people who are really good, I think, stood out from from the rest of the uh, rest of the wrestlers tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. For that that match in particular, I had a lot of people like, man, wrestling's the one uh, form of entertainment or athletic competition that really needs the fans there. Because I think it was Nikki trying to just like naturally, she's a babyface, she's trying to fire the crowd up, but <laughs> there isn't a crowd there, and you're just so ingrained and trained to do that. It's hard to get that out of your system. So obviously, they're gonna fall into that trap because it's what they've been trained to do. But if you can get over that, which obviously they did, because I thought the match was really good. Uh, I, I think you'll be fine going on through. Okay, so King Corbin and Elias. Uh, I thought this was really dumb from the start. Um, you know, K- Corbin is is in the ring and he's just like, ah, there's no way Elias is gonna come out. Like I dropped him from this balcony onto the onto his back, so there's no way he's coming out. And then he shows up. Not only does he show up, but he has a guitar. Like he, he always has a guitar, but he has his guitar in his hands. And Corbin just goes out to attack him. And I'm like, do, do you not see this dude has a guitar in his hands? And of course, Corbin gets the guitar broken over his back. So heel is dumb. That baby face is, is smart, I guess. But uh, that that's how the match starts. And I actually thought, you know, the first two minutes of this match... I was kind of getting into Elias now. Now, you know, Elias has been turned so many times. It's kind of hard to to really be with him as a babyface at this point. 
But the first two minutes, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, fire, there you go. And then, you know, then then the match, you know, became more more for Corbin. But I think it showed that Elias is just not a, a good babyface worker because once the match, once they got the heat, the match died for me. And I was like, ah, oh, this match sucks now. And, you know, Corbin is who Corbin is. I think he has some uh, some pretty good nights uh, in his role uh, when he is asked to carry the entire thing. I don't think he's very good at that. So you give him a dance partner and I think he could be really good like Roman Reigns. I think he has really good matches with Roman Reigns. But here, not so much because I don't think Elias brings enough to the table and the match kind of died for me once that happened Corbin tries to uh, steal the pin by cheating and then Elias outsmarts him and he cheats to win the match and my feeling was thank god it's over let's move on yeah I put it up there as one of the worst matches in Mania history up there with Adonis Uncle Elmer Wrestlemania 2 I just (laughs) did not like this match at all as you said uh Elias assaults Corbin with the guitar at the beginning and it just like even like this was a match that man you needed a crowd or something to make some noise or even you know be negative on it because just two guys kind of plodding their way through with no crowd and you know it just it didn't work for me and really a roll up roll of the tights finish at Wrestlemania give me a break well that there were some bad finishes on the show there were yes so, uh, Shayna and Becky, now, I was kind of perplexed at the... The spot. Th- well, well, just the, you know, it's third, you know, on the main, the main show, it's third from the top. And I'm like, oh, isn't Becky, like, one of their big stars? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of surprised me. And then once I saw the match, I was like, okay, I, I totally get why they put it third. Because it was not as good as it should have been. And I'm not even sure who to blame. Like, I, the, the problem with this match to me is, okay, so they, they, start, they start the feud with Shayna biting her in the back of the neck. And, and it's like, a, you know, one of the crazier things you've ever seen in wrestling. Like, who, who bites somebody like that? And then at the end of that show, Becky comes to sort of get her revenge. So she's, you know, she's a badass. She's not scared. She's a fighting babyface champion. And so throughout the rest of the build to this match, it was, you know, Shayna's this ex-MMA fighter. Shayna's a badass. But guess what? Like, Becky has beaten Ronda. Becky is a fighter. And she's the man. So she's not, it's not like Becky is scared to fight Shayna. Becky wants to whip Shayna badly. Like, that's the story of this match. So when we got to the finish, which was Becky using, like, a desperation move to pin Shayna because she was getting her butt kicked for the whole match, I thought, okay, if you're Roddy, if you're, no, if you're Bret Hart, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you've done 20 minutes of excellent storytelling, and Becky is trying everything to do something to Shayna, and it just doesn't work, then yeah, then she uses a very smart, technical wrestling maneuver to outsmart this, you know, this sort of rookie. Not Shayna's not a rookie, but she hasn't been around that long. So that kind of makes sense. You're like, okay, Shayna's a newer wrestler. Becky's been wrestling for a long time. Shayna's an MMA fighter, so you beat her with something that she may not be expecting. That makes sense. 
if that's the story, but the story wasn't long enough for Becky to be exhausted in, in trying to beat up Shayna. It just ended in eight minutes. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we've built up Shayna this whole time. She's not going to win. And she's going to get pinned in eight minutes by this like weak wrestling move where Becky just falls back in the choke. Like I just thought it was... Uh, it was so frustrating watching this match. This is the match, though. I think it was probably better uh, from a like just a wrestling standpoint than several matches on this show. Just the way that the story was told and the finish to the match. Just I was so I was so angry after this match. And thankfully, there was some really great stuff to come or else I would have tapped out on this show. Yeah, like, this was very disappointing. Like, I thought the placement was weird, but then I thought, okay, they're giving this one third because they're going to give Becky and Shayna a lot of time to tell a story. And, you know, Shayna's going to, you know, get out of the disarmor or kick out a pinfall attempt after pinfall attempt because at that elimination pay-per-view, they built her up as, like, the best and most dominant, not only woman, but... Uh, professional wrestler ever to step inside Elimination Chamber match. Like, she was the most dominant force. She's been on that killing spree uh, since the end of February. And then she comes out there, and they started with, like, what I thought was a great start. Like, a tribute kind of to Pancrase, those open-hand slaps back Mm -hmm. and forth together. And I'm like, okay, they're going to start and build up, and then it's going to be, you know, one or the other is going to take the advantage, and we're going to tell that story. And then all of a sudden, Becky gets the Bret Hart Piper, Bret Hart Austin Survivor Series 96 finish. And I was like, that's it? Yeah. Like, and just Shayna's reaction, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got countered by that again. Like, she, <laughs> lo- like she lost. Didn't she lose, like, the first May Young Classic like that to Maybe. Ari? Yeah. Yeah, it was something like, like she she hasn't been watching her tapes enough to, to or what have you. But she just looked so distraught. And just how she left, like, oh, man, like, such a defeated fighter, like, crushed. And I was like, you've built someone up at such a monster level. And then to go down in eight minutes or six minutes or whatever it was, not a good look. And then it's like, where are the contenders? Unless they've done this amazing saving angle on Raw. But like, where are the contenders? Because Becky's been champion now for over a year. That division's pretty much dead. Shayna was the fresh breath from NXT coming in, who had been built up so well from NXT, then to the Elimination Chamber on. And now she just looks like, well, she... She wasn't ready for the big show and got, like, killed like uh, a Chael Sonnen in the rematch against Anderson Silva. <laughs> like, now there's no major interest to see Shayna right now. I mean, they can they can save it, but this angle or whatever they do, that has to be huge. Obviously, you think their plan was maybe for Shayna to win here at WrestleMania, but with no crowd there, they didn't feel it was the moment or the appropriateness. Nonetheless, I expected more than eight minutes. Now, they... You know, maybe maybe they try and save this. Maybe tomorrow on night two, Shayna attacks Becky in some way and kind of saves face. But yeah, like for the people who who watched this match and were like, "Oh, that protected Shayna," I was like, "Like how? Like Shayna looked? She looked like uh, um, what? What would Mike? What Mike Tyson would call her? A paper tiger? She looked like a paper tiger." Yeah. Yeah, she did not look great. And just the walk up, like, the sad body language and everything. Like, not a good look from someone that's supposed to be your monster heel in that women's division. All right, so this match made me feel a lot better about this show. And it was the master class of Daniel Bryan being able to communicate with the TV viewer 
through physicality, through facial expressions, through just smart, logical stuff. And, I, you know, we don't get to see Sami Zayn wrestle that much. And, and so it, sometimes you forget, like, how good he really was when he was wrestling. And, and you know, look, he, he didn't have a great match here. I, I didn't like to finish on, on this match either. But it just shows that, you know, when you put two guys in and you just let them do a really smart wrestling match. Now, this wasn't not dangerous. Like, Daniel Bryan almost, like, knocked himself out. Oh, man. When he went his head in the barrier, I'm oh like, my what are you God. doing? You're the dude with the neck and the, <laughs> the head trauma. And what are you doing? Like, yeah. In front of no one also. But, I mean, but he, just the intensity. He he showed more intensity in this match than you had in the in the previous three matches combined. You know, I'm talking about real intensity. Like he he was he was on one. And so uh the beginning of the match, Sami Zayn's playing a little keep away, he's trying to run away from Daniel. And every time Daniel would chase him, then uh one of one of his uh, one of his his guys would, would get in front of Daniel Cesaro, then it was Nakamura, then it was both of them. And then Drew Gulak knocked them both out so so Daniel was able to get to Zayn. But uh, Daniel tells Gulak, he's like, no, he's like, look, man, just just let him go. If he wants to get counted out, fine, whatever, just let him go. So Sami Zayn's like, oh, great. And he starts to walk away. And once he gets on the ramp, then Daniel Bryan chases him and catches him and throws him back in the ring. So that was kind of fun because, again, this is a medium where there's no audience. So you're literally working for the TV audience. You're not working for the crowd in any way. And it told a, a fun story of the babyface outsmarting the heel, and that, that so that was really good. So then, um, Brian just started slapping the hell out of Sammy. So the the just the the noise, right? And I, I want to say that they they turned the volume up uh, on the the mat because there was a lot of great sound when when uh, when just in the ring, like the slaps sounded a lot louder. Um, the you know when they were taking taking high backdrops and diving off on the ladders in the next match, you know you could really hear it. So I don't know if they they mic'd it more loudly, but if they did, that I felt that that was also a good touch. So. Uh, so then, uh, you, you know, you could really hear them vocally as well. Um, you could hear Sammy begging off. Um, and then we talked about the dive. So near the end of the match, uh, Sammy Zayn basically, I think it was Daniel, did Daniel Bryan come off the top rope and he just gave him the, the, a big boot, which they called the hell of a kick. Yeah. Or Michael Cole said he kind of got him with like a halluva kick. Looked like he did. He, I wasn't sure, but I was like. You're the lead play-by-play guy. Like it's a halluva kick, but yeah, man, so, Mike, Michael Cole was kind of rough tonight. Well, I mean, he couldn't have been as bad as uh, old Tony on uh, on AEW the other day. But oh, true. <laughs> but no, I, I, I yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like um, I, like I don't know if that was a, a botch or if that was supposed to be because he was definitely confused. I was confused. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was like sort of like a big boot to, to hit Daniel coming off the rope. So coming off the top rope. So weird finish, but I don't think it took away from how good the match was, uh, how physical that match was. And I was just, uh, at this point I was like, okay, the master craftsmen were at work and finally I got something that I, that I thought I was going to get. And, uh, you know, I picked up a little bit from here. Yeah, I really thought it did pick up because I thought 
obviously Daniel Bryan's amazing for what he can do in the ring. But I thought Sami Zayn was so important in this match by basically giving him zero offense. Like he went full Marv in Home Alone with his cell jobs and taking those bumps and just just the reaction to the kicks. Like oh. then Michael Cole at one point was like, is Sammy crying? Like <laughs> I thought that was a great touch or like this is where I think as you as you've talked about, like hearing the, the chatter between the, the two in the ring, stuff you normally wouldn't hear where Daniel Bryan uh, pinned uh, Sammy up in the corner and said, uh, talking about Gulak, you think he's nothing? And he smacked Sammy, the, you're nothing! And then gave him those kicks in the corner. I thought that was really good. But I think that Sammy Zayn is one of my favorite things in WWE right now because he's such a chicken shit heel and they've literally given it like made people forget how good of a wrestler he is by giving him no offense needing all the help from Nakamura and Cesaro and then just out of nowhere he'll hit that big boot and then he retains the belt so I'm fine with that I thought it was fun I thought both these men are great I mean I could have had another three or four minutes of that it was that oh absolutely all right, we're going to talk about the ladder match in a second, but I want to talk about our friends from Bet Online. So, with no NBA, no NFL, no NHL, MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on, but you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day, all online, including their $750,000 poker series. There's also stuff like Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. And the one thing that they have is WrestleMania matches. You can actually place bets, place wagers on WrestleMania matches. So day two is, is upcoming and, and you can go ahead and do that on uh, Bet Online. So visit their website, join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit and be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Okay, let's get to this uh, ladder match here. So originally... It was going to be a triple threat tag team ladder match. It was going to be New Day versus the Usos versus Miz and Morrison. Miz supposedly got sick, pulled out of the match. So instead of giving Morrison a partner, because they are the tag champions, would have probably been a little weird. They decided to make it a triple threat singles match for the tag team titles. Kind of weird. They didn't really harp on it. You know, I think the I think the fans in this uh, time period of of what we're dealing with uh, with the coronavirus were like, whatever. Like they're kind of you know they they we shouldn't be too hard on them here. And you know what? If you can look past the goofiness of one member of a tag team defending a tag team championship, the match was really good. And you know, from a from the perspective of a ladder match. You know, we've had so many different styles of ladder matches, and, and usually what happens is they just try and get more daring and more creative and more inventive. But I thought this was just a very well put together match, utilizing 
the athleticism of three guys who are super duper athletic. And let's not undersell Jimmy Uso. Jimmy Uso is a really good athlete as well. And so, you know, I think everyone knew that Kofi and Morrison were going to do crazy things, but Jimmy held his own. Um, there was a there was a couple of interesting uh, edits here, and uh, in one instance, uh, I think uh, Jimmy was on the top rope, and Morrison like pushed him off, and then he just flew off camera. So I, I, I'm pretty sure he just didn't go splat into the night. I think there was he. Hopefully, he like caught something, or maybe you know, did maybe maybe they they uh, they they allowed him to land on something so that he didn't die. Uh, because he he was he was still a part of the match. Uh, there was the Spanish fly, so Morrison walking the ropes from one turnbuckle to the other, and then Kofi turns it into a Spanish fly from the top rope. That was awesome. And so basically, the story uh, of the end of this match is Morrison has uh, tossed Jimmy Uso into the ether. Uh, Jimmy Uso had thrown Kofi headfirst into uh, the ladder that was kind of perched against the rope in in and in, in, in the uh, the rungs of another ladder. So Kofi is out, Jimmy Uso is out, and Morrison's going up, and he's gonna he's about to to cat to grab the, the the belts, and right as he's about to grab it, all of a sudden Jimmy Uso appears out of nowhere. He's not dead; he is alive. And then Kofi jumps back up, so they're up on the top of the ladder fighting for to get the little hanger off so they can pull the belts down. All three of them have a piece of the hanger. All of a sudden. John Morrison does like a free fall onto the perched ladder. Kofi and Jimmy Uso are are there holding the little hanger, but no belts. So as Morrison is doing this free fall onto onto this ladder that was perched between the ropes, he took with him the tag titles, and that's how the match ends. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as clean as obviously they would have wanted, uh, blame that on gravity, but not as dumb as like in TNA when there was like a feast or fired match and you had to get the contract and the paperwork fell off and you grabbed the, <laughs> they grabbed the clipboard and were like, yeah, I got my title shot or, or I'm not going to get fired or whatever it was. But yeah, gravity really affected this. And obviously they were like, well, we're going to reshoot this now, but they could have, but they chose not to. But yeah, this I thought, first of all, a ladder match with no fans is the stupidest thing to do. Like, why risk their bodies in, in this capacity with no fans? Um, especially at the beginning where, like, J- uh, Jimmy Uso, like, took a bump off the ladder. And I thought, oh, my God, just tore his ACL yeah. for, no, for no reason at all. But they made me get over that because they, especially John Morrison, he pulled off some insati- sensational spots like that. That uh, corkscrew moonsault from the post uh, with, uh, I think it was Kofi on the ladder. It was insane, which, of course, for some reason, JBL thought that reminded him of Mr. Perfect. <laughs> I don't remember Perfect hitting many corkscrew moonsaults in my day, but, hey, it reminded him of that somehow. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, John also did that insane tightrope walk on oh, the, yeah. the top oh, yeah. rope. That, I thought, was unbelievable. But the finish didn't look as clean as they would have wanted but uh the other thing i thought of like as you mentioned like the one individual representing the team but as you said coronavirus right now is ransacked everything and i thought if they had each team member there so that's six plus a referee that's seven people wouldn't that be breaking how many people are allowed to be in a room together or what have you 
I don't know. I think th- I think ten is the magic number as far as what they're trying to stay under. Okay, I thought it was like down to four or five people now. That's what I thought, it, but I could be wrong in there. But I thought it worked out honestly uh, with just the individuals because there's no crowd. Uh, you can just focus solely on that. Because can you imagine how many camera cuts there would be in the first match? Kevin Dunn's out there cutting so many camera cuts. I'm like, there's just four people here. Like, you, keep it simple, Kevin. But uh, I thought this was a really good match. No crowd here really does hurt it because this could have been one of the better ladder matches in Mania history, but they didn't have the oohs and ahs from the audience. But fun match, and I would like to see when everything gets figured out uh, with coronavirus and a vaccine or something and, and fans can come back, uh, these teams with their partners around to, to have the matches. So Donald Trump had a call with a lot of the uh, sports uh, executive, not not executives, but uh, like Adam Silver commissioners, Adam Silver, Roger Goodell, uh, Vince McMahon, and Dana White were also on this call. And Dana and um, Trump was trying to say that the NFL would be on schedule. This is his belief. And uh, I heard uh, California's governor Gavin Newsom basically say. He doesn't think so, because if you follow the pattern of Japan, when they got things under control, they tried to reopen a lot of their events, and then they had to close them down again. So he was not as uh, optimistic as Trump was as far as when sports are going to start again. And so it really makes you wonder, because, you know, you you just said, you know, when, when this thing, you know, kind of gets back together. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought originally... You know, oh, you know, we got to get back by May or June. And, you know, look, double or nothing. I'm about to cancel my hotel and and uh, my flight this week because I, it's just not going to happen. And that's, you know, that's uh, May, you know, third week of May or whatever. And then, you know, think about the shows after that, you know, Money in the Bank. I think they've already moved that or they've already like postponed that. So, you know, we're talking like into the fall Mm-hmm. optimistically when something like this is going to is going to get back with fans. So this this may be the norm for several several months and we're going to I I I don't I I don't really know what they could do to 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 improve on on what what the wrestlers are able to do currently, but I think they're going to have to figure out some different things to do because, you know, can they keep doing shows like this? for the next five months. I don't know. It's It, it just seems like it'll be really hard. It's definitely going to be hard. And like, especially in the United States where they have the most cases in the world of this disease is in, in, in major markets as well, like New York, which is a huge epicenter um, where this disease is just taking over. I just don't see how you can even fathom that by the end of the summer or anything like that i think that's good to hope for but yeah like for you canceling uh double or nothing that's gonna be a thing like with this whole broker i was supposed to go to aew in rochester and thank goodness i canceled before because i'd have been locked in rochester like i couldn't wouldn't have been able to get back yeah because i'd have been shut down the borders were shut down uh they're all shut down right now and I don't know, like, this is going to be the norm forever. Like, it's, I think, a lot of stress on the TV networks, of course, trying to fill the content. At least there's some sort of news coming out of there. But I think if the trend 
once you maybe see the trend starting to go down a bit, but it just seems in the news right now, more and more cases are popping up and more and more deaths. Uh, it's not really a pretty picture, but once you can maybe start the curve going down or people can actually listen that just stay home, like that's all you have. They're literally asking you just to stay home. I don't know how hard that is, but yeah, it's going to be the norm. I saw a graph of the, or it was a more of, it was a heat map of the U.S. and it showed the uh, folks who are staying home versus folks who are traveling and they were using cell phone data. Mm-hmm. And actually the, the best area right now in the U.S. where people are staying home was like <clears throat> the Michigan area. So that Great Lakes area. Yeah. Like they, it looks like they're they're doing a phenomenal job of just kind of staying put, and uh, you know, but the the middle of the United States, these people think it's like nothing has changed for them in, in their lives, and they're just doing the same thing that they were doing before we were supposed to, you know, quarantine ourselves. So, man, I've seen people out jogging. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, stay home. Like, work out from home. Do something. I know it's nice out. Hang out in your backyard or just on the front step for a couple minutes, get some fresh air. But like, what are you doing jogging? Like, stay inside. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, two in a row, two matches in a row that they were able to make this thing work. And it was soon to be three in a row. And this is the match that I was most looking forward to on the entire card because I thought Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens would be able to do their thing no matter what. Um, Kevin Owens, to me, as a babyface, is just hitting on every possible cylinder. And the reason why the finish in this match was was very sweet is because of the lead-up in the TV. Seth Rollins and, you know, AOP and, and Buddy Murphy seemingly get the best of... Uh, Kevin and and Samoa Joe and the Street Profits and everybody that's been a part of this little thing, like just about every week they get the better of them. So at WrestleMania, this is the time where, you know, this culminates and, you know, you want to see Kevin Owens really win this. Like, I didn't really care that much about the finishes in this matches except in this in this show, except for the Shayna finish. Uh, and and I just I just thought she should win. Um, but this was the one where I was like, you know, the little young kid pro wrestling fan who was rooting for the, you know, the fighting baby faces, he would have wanted to see Kevin Owens win. So I saw myself actually kind of rooting for Owens. And uh, I thought Seth Rollins was like the best guy on the entire show. He was fantastic in this match as a dick heel. He was selling for Kevin Owens, but then, you know, once once Kevin Owens would get a little bit too much, then bam, then Seth is back, you know, and getting the upper hand. And they did this really, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even think it was necessarily creative, but it was super effective in that you want to see Owens, you know, beat him up and get it, get his revenge. And all of a sudden, Seth does the, the chicken shit thing and conks him with the ring bell. And he gets disqualified. And right before he gets disqualified... You see him smirking in the corner as if saying like, ha ha, like I did not, you know, Kevin did not get what he wanted here. I just got DQ'd, match over. And I thought that was so effective because I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they, you know, they didn't give Owens his thing. And then Owens, the fighting baby face is like, no, even though I just won this match, 
I want this to be a no DQ and we're doing this. And, uh, and then they go out and have another, I don't know how long it was after that, but just a really fun match and, and, and it becomes no DQ. So they're hitting each other with chairs and ring bells. And then Kevin Owens does this dive, this senton off of the WrestleMania stage or not the stage, but the, um, the logo that was, you know, that was on the on the back where the uh, the Titantron, you know, would have been or whatever. And he jumps from this logo and does a Santon on Seth through the table. I don't know. It sounded like maybe Seth got the wind knocked out of him. Legit, it, it, he may he may have, or he's just selling really well. And then you know, get back into the ring, boom, stunner, and, and Kevin Owens wins. And I was just like, you know what? That was a su- such an effective match. Uh, would have been better with the with the crowd, obviously. Every you know, unless you know, there's these goofy WWE crowds that sometimes ruin things. But just they they told a hell of a story. They were not handicapped in any way, and just two just rock star pro wrestlers doing their thing. Yeah, I really like this match. Uh, thought. Um Seth coming out first of all, I was like he's really taking this CrossFit Jesus thing uh, <laughs> full on. Like that's now his gimmick. Now he's just buying into it. But like, at, like you know, their first little bit of the match was was fine for what they did, and then that finish happened. I was like, oh my god, really? You're gonna have two of your biggest guys have a DQ like that? And then when Kevin got on the mics, like I want a no DQ match. I was kind of like okay like good they're restarting it but also the rules like who's gonna just because you want it doesn't mean you get it but (laughs) seth was like all right you just never learn and he came down and then i was like kevin owens you are insane for taking that bump like i was like oh my god kevin knocked the wind out of himself seth definitely knocked the wind out of himself uh real good back and forth match and you could just see why these guys are some of the best that the company has and Seth right now is really hitting that stride as just such a great heel and maybe one of the best characters on WWE TV um, I I've, I love this match a lot I mean Kevin finally gets that big win and you know it's a shame that there wasn't a crowd for this one because it would probably had more time as well but just a really fun match between two of the biggest names in WWE yeah, I, you know, Seth, I think Seth gets a lot of crap because he's kind of a weird social media follow and, uh, you know, just you hear things about him and he and sometimes when he's got to be the spokesman for the company, he kind of sticks his foot in his mouth. But the guy as a as a pro wrestler, he is he is a great pro wrestler. Oh, All right. So, um, like I said, we had three great matches in a row and. At some point, they were going to have to put on Braun Strowman and Goldberg for the Universal title. So, I felt for Goldberg because you knew that uh, he was the setup guy, you know, for Roman to 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 get Roman that title. And when Roman couldn't couldn't win the match uh, or couldn't be in the match, and they put Braun Strowman in, my first thought was. How do how can we get to Goldberg and Roman? The problem with that is because of Roman's immune system, we have no idea how long he's going to be out. And you know, like like we were talking about, if it's in the fall, you know, if 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 this kind of thing is dangerous for him, where they're having these empty arena shows, and you know, we shouldn't he he you know, if someone gets sick and all of a sudden you know we're worried about him, like. The guy literally should just not come back until 
everyone can come back. So when I, once I thought that through, I was like, okay, well, Braun Strowman has to win this match because if Roman is not going to be around, then you you can't basically pay Goldberg to come to every TV. He's a very expensive person to uh, to bring. So I was like, oh, Strowman's going to win this match. And, you know, was it good? No. Did it suck? Yes. Did they get it over with, thankfully, in two minutes? Also, yes. So, you know, I, I, I think people are going to be like, oh, yeah, this sucked. But they were kind of backed into a corner here uh, with Roman having to pull out. It probably would have been a, a little bit better match with Roman in there. But the end goal was probably to get Roman the belt. Here, Strowman gets to win the championship. Great. You know, I, I'm, I'm OK with that. He, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, when when uh, you know, when you're in a little bit of a, of a crux, you know, sometimes the change is fine. And, and so I was fine with him winning. But basically what happened is as Goldberg comes in four spears, goes for the jackhammer, can't get the jackhammer. Braun Strowman reverses it. And Braun Strowman then hits four of his uh, power slams and uh, he wins the match. So it was like two minutes and 12 seconds or something like that. I really like this match, honestly, because, I mean, it's a Goldberg match, so they treated it the way they should. Uh, they were thrown a huge wrench that they normally never would put them to be put in this scenario because of coronavirus. Obviously, Roman Reigns took himself out of the match and then Braun just thrown in literally on the last show before WrestleMania. I like this. And how about them not even saying why Roman wasn't on the show? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Like, first of all, did the beginning of the show, which we didn't talk about, was that PSA from Stephanie McMahon. I was like, did Dana White write this? It was all about, like, ah, we're here for you, entertainment, some normalcy. <laughs> like, no, but okay, whatever, we're here now. Oh, yeah, uh, she said, um, she used the term, these current circumstances. Yeah, they have never said coronavirus on uh, uh, this, except the Drew, Gula, uh, Drew McIntyre thing. They named COVID-19, but... Oh, on the Chronicles after yeah. the show, and in, in, in text at the after the were like, ah, oh, you know, Drew, would this kind of suck if uh, they canceled WrestleMania? And he was like, man, just my bad luck that always follows me. And then they put the graphic up of like some text, and they said COVID. That's the only time I think WWE said coronavirus or oh, COVID nineteen. But yeah, stuff like did Dana White write Stephanie McMahon's thing. Like, good lord. But yeah, I like Braun and Goldberg. It's exactly what it should have been. Uh, Goldberg with, what, three or four spears, couldn't put him away. Then Braun with a handful of those running power slams, new champion, what have you. It was two minutes, 12 seconds. Uh, That's exactly what I wanted, honestly. I didn't want them. There's no way those two have the styles that they can go a long period of time. Give us the short stuff. Make it short and sweet. And it was exactly what it was. All right, so we haven't talked about the host of this show, but before we talk about the main event, let's talk about Gronk. So Gronk comes out, and he cuts his promo to start the show, and then he invites his buddy Mojo to hang out with him. So it's Mojo and Gronk, and they're sitting on that little balcony piece just watching the show uh, from there. They didn't really cut back to them very often, but one of the major times they did was when R-Truth was hiding with them and our truth basically said you know don't drop a dime on me i you know i'm i'm i I don't you know i don't want anyone to know i'm here and so gronk gets this idea that he's gonna be you know he's gonna double cross our truth and he's gonna win the 24 7 title 
So he, I don't even know what he did, but Truth is on the ground. Gronk is pinning him. Mojo pulls his buddy Gronk off of him and then steals the pin. And Mojo is now the 24-7 champion. As far as I know, that's that was the last of those guys. And uh, maybe we'll see Gronk, you know, steal it from his buddy Mojo on night two. But um, what did you think about one Rob Gronkowski in this role? Well, Rob Gronkowski, much like his playing career, gave me fits because uh, I just see him twice a season as a Bills fan. And then (laughs) I saw him three or four times on this screen. I was like, he looks insane in in these glasses that I think were last left in 1987, uh, a custom made Gronkamania like tiger print blue um, jacket I was just like god every time they were on I would just turned it off and I was like truth got knocked down on a I mean a forearm from Gronk but then I thought Gronk would win he didn't obviously you know tomorrow night there's gonna be some more shenanigans with Mojo and Gronk good luck that's gonna be fun but uh every time those two are on that's just definitely go get yourself off the couch and not watch them all right, so the main event is AJ Styles versus The Undertaker. This is the Boneyard match, but um, it was shot like a movie or, you know, like a Matt Hardy movie in in a sense. D- didn't have the same Matt Hardy wackiness. Had some wackiness, but not, not like a, a broken Matt Hardy movie, Final Destination or whatever he called it. Um, so this... Now, I have not I, I've not seen really any negativity surrounding this. And I thought that there would be because, you know, there's there's tons of negativity in pro wrestling and, and, and just what people enjoy versus what they don't enjoy is just it's very subjective, right? Like people have, you know, t- tons of things uh, that they love and other campy things that they don't. And so I because of the campiness in this, I thought. I was going to see some negativity, but I didn't really see, you know, there were some people who were like, oh, it was all right. But I didn't really see anyone say that, you know, this was really dumb or this was one of the worst things. I think this was kind of, you know, near universally praised and to, you know, should have been because the amount of of work and effort they put into this to not because, you know, the bottom line is the Undertaker having a pro wrestling match these days. It is uh, painful for him, but it's also painful for us who, you know, remember the Undertaker of, of 10 years ago, who was like maybe the best version of the Undertaker of all time. So they did smoke and mirrors on top of smoke and mirrors on top of smoke and mirrors, but they also told quite a decent story. Um, the Boneyard match was uh, the person had to get dropped in their, their grave and then they had to have dirt uh, dropped on them. So they're sort of buried alive. And uh, then that that was going to be declared the winner. AJ comes out uh, in a coffin. That's how he is introduced into this match. And Undertaker is the biker Undertaker. He rides his motorcycle. He's got theme music. Uh, yeah. Theme music. <laughs> like, not even American Badass or his theme. Like, some random new music. I was I was like, this is amazing. So, one of the key things is The Undertaker, when he's in his wrestling gear, he looks really old. 
When he takes off his hat, he looks really old. Here, he was able to keep his biker gear on and he was able to keep the bandana or whatever he was wearing on. And it looked like he like was like five years younger than than he usually looks. So I thought that worked out really well. Um, so they uh, there was a the first major thing is, you know, Undertaker's you know, beating up AJ and he puts his elbow through a window and he makes some wisecrack or something. And and so people popped at that. That was like the first thing that people really were like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, he put his uh, arm through the windshield like uh, Goldberg did in 2000, which ended up like almost killing him. But then he went, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, this was amazing. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. It's a, it's literally this was they were like, just make Roadhouse. But WWE, it was literally that's what it felt like. So AJ would get a, get a little bit of offense, but The Undertaker would quickly come back. Um, so uh, so AJ goes into the into the grave, and then Gallows and Anderson come in for the distraction, and they come with what I assume were The Undertaker's druids, but they were dressed up to look exactly like the Dark Order. <laughs> Yeah, that's what, uh, that wasn't a good thing, but they were supposed to be the druids. And then, of course, there was like the square up. And Undertaker went, Well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Come on. And I was like, <laughs> he, He's literally, he, this was better than any WWE movie they have ever put out, except the first Marine with Cena. But this was so good. Like, Taker should be in every movie that they have. Like, I would love to see, like, Taker the Bounty Hunter or something like that. This was that good. So, um, the, the reason why I thought, I thought, I immediately thought Dark Order is because um, Brody Lee just did the, you know, he's two weeks in a row, he's done the Vince skits. So I'm like, oh, this is just a little bit of payback here. And I was, I'm all for it. Like, that, you know, that's the stuff that, I know a lot of people don't like it when when the uh, companies kind of make fun of each other. But I think if you do it in smart ways, in subtle ways, in uh, ways that aren't, you know, we're not talking billionaire Ted stuff where it's like it's not even a parody. It's just like super mean spirited. But when you can do parodies like Brody Lee's uh, Exalted One character and, you know, getting mad at people for sneezing. That stuff is smart and it's fun. I don't know if it, it's going to mean business, but for the TV piece of that show, it's entertaining. And this was too here too, because I know just about everyone who watches both shows thought the same thing that I did. It was like, oh, there's the Dark Order. I mean, I think even Evil Uno like tweeted saying that that is not us or something like that. Um, okay, so so uh, so then uh, fast forward a little bit. AJ hits the Undertaker with a shovel and puts him into the grave. So as he is getting the tractor to dump dirt on him, all of a sudden, the Undertaker appears behind him as if he's both the biker guy and the dead man rising. And I don't know how he ended up behind the tractor, but he ended up behind the tractor. And AJ now has to deal with this... uh, this crazed dead man. They go on top of a roof, and <laughs> it was the it's the peak horror movie. Like I gotta get away, so I'm gonna climb to the top of this roof now. And uh, and Taker gives him, you know, T- Taker doesn't just beat him up on the roof. He gives him his finisher, <laughs> the tombstone pile driver, on top of this roof. 
AJ goes crashing down to the floor off of this roof. Now AJ's very apologetic. He's like, I'm sorry. Taker like picks him up and he's like patting him on the back. Like, you know what? You know, you did a pretty good job. Not many people have given me that kind of fight. And he's about to turn and walk away. Nope. Turns around, boots AJ into the grave, turns the tractor on, dumps the dirt on AJ. AJ's glove is sticking out of the dirt. Taker pulls, uh, the, the, something was covering the tombstone and it was like some shrubs or something, pulls it off and it reads AJ Styles, rest in peace, 1977 to 2020. And he did ask him, what is my wife's name? And AJ did not say anything. I was dying for him to say Sarah, but he did not. And, uh, and, uh, and that was the end. And that was literally the end of the show. Taker rides off into the sunset or into the darkness and, and then you just see the WWE logo show is over. No announcers, no Mojo, no Gronkowski, no uh, Rosenberg and, and Corey Graves. And they just went to the to the Drew McIntyre Chronicles end of the show. This was so good. Like, I loved every bit of this. Like, no announcers. They're talking. It was hokey, but not insulting hokey. It was it was little like a movie, as as you said before. I like I said uh, before, this was like Roadhouse meets WWE. Like, remember the scene if you've seen Roadhouse. Remember the scene in Roadhouse where Patrick Swayze is getting revenge for, uh, for after Emmett's farms burning, and he pulls the the touch of death. He pulls the dude's jugular out. Like this is so much like that. It was so it was fun. Taker was amazing in this, and it's just a whole new life of Taker matches that you can have because you pre-record them. WWE needs to give Jeremy Borash a raise, a serious raise, because you know he was behind this. He was behind all of the the hardy compound stuff with both TNA and the stuff in WWE. This was so fun. Like, AJ came off really well in here, too. I mean... it was just so unique, and it, it was it blew my expectations away. Twenty times better than if this was a regular match. Taker added so much more to his character because if these are Taker matches now, just on some sort of compound pre-tape, I'm all for it. Like there's a couple more you can do. I'm so for it. Like this was the highlight of the show, and it hit everything out of the park. Now, don't you worry that they just start overdoing the hell out of these post-produced things, though. I were I would I mean do I worry no because I think you have to save them and you're only using Taker for a couple of major uh, shows a year you could definitely do it a couple of times uh, maybe one in SummerSlam or Survivor Series what have you but I'd rather see that than Taker have a match where I think he's going to be killed or get killed in it like the Goldberg match from last year in Saudi Arabia where I thought one of these men is dying in, in the ring so I'd rather see that and I just thought just the campiness and the hokiness of it it was fantastic and I just loved how Taker put his hand up and then the logo came there and then the theme music hit it was like well Taker's come and done his job uh, Taker the hitman like I was so I was so far it was so fun just just so fun AJ was great as well like when he was backing off and he was like I'm sorry you think you're sorry He's like, damn, AJ. Ed Taker was like, damn, AJ. You put up more of a fight than I thought. You think I'm going to bury you? I'm not going to bury you. And then put the boot in. Like, he gave Taker some good lines here as well. No, it, it, was, it was really good stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I 
don't know if you can do this often. I'm going to assume that Cena and Bray Wyatt is is going to be similar. Um, but, you know, it's not obviously it's it's going to be in the funhouse. It's not going to be in, in, in the graveyard. I just hope that because of how good this one was that all of a sudden we don't see just the copycat stuff and you do save it, right? You could save it for big matches, you know, because they've done stuff like this in the past and it's been really bad because you remember the Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton one from, I don't know, it was like three years ago or something like that, right? Yeah, that was awful. So it's not like they haven't done this stuff in the past, but this was just a very good version of what they've, they've done before. So kudos to that. Look, you know, if 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 I was not grading on a curve, this WrestleMania night is like a five and a half out of ten, right? But because you are grading on a curve, you know it, it gets bumped up an, a notch, and 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 you, the expectations are a little bit lower. But I will say, tomorrow night, Sunday night, they are are going to have higher expectations than this show did, and I and I very much hope that. You know, because there there are some matches on on night two that I think could be a little bit rough. There's the women's uh, six way or whatever for for uh, Bailey's title. Um. Uh, there's uh again the you know the Funhouse. There's Bobby Lashley and Aleister Black. Now Edge and Randy Orton should be excellent. Like it should be better than Rollins and Owens. Like that that's that that's where you know that's sort of the bar. But we'll see. Uh, and Drew and Brock, obviously, as well. So, they, you know, I, I do have raised expectations for tomorrow's show. So they, they you know, they need to deliver uh, if they expect this, the same review out of me. But uh, do you have what, what's the thing that you're looking forward to most on uh, Sundays? I mean, it has to be for me, Edge and Orton. I think it's been the best program built up. Uh, I mean, maybe a waste for Edge to drive 17 hours to Florida just to cut promos. But the promo that he's the promos that he's cut have been tremendous. It's just also a program that Randy Orton's motivated for and motivated. Randy Orton is the best performer bar none that WWE's ever seen or one of the best that they've ever seen. I'm so excited for this match. It's like Edge's first singles match in nine years. So that's also something I'm excited for. I don't see how this can't be good. Now, uh, the Funhouse match should be interesting, especially how they shoot it and how they make it come across. Uh, And I think for the main event of Drew and Brock, that's going to be a little... That one's going to really feel weird without fans, but... Highest expectations, definitely Orton and uh, Edge, because you know the smack talk going on there to help add to the drama and everything's going to be huge. All right, so uh, one thing before we get out of here, and and I'm going to let you uh, plug some of the stuff you've been doing here in a second, but on our Facebook group, we have the finals of the WrestleMania uh, matches tournament, greatest WrestleMania matches, and the greatest WrestleMania show ever. The finals are going to be up tomorrow. WrestleMania 17 is going head up against WrestleMania 19. At least that's how it is, you know, as of us getting ready to go to bed here. Uh, by tomorrow morning, uh, it could, it's only, it's only beating WrestleMania 10. WrestleMania 19 is beating WrestleMania 10 by two votes. And then in the matches tournament, it is Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart from WrestleMania seven or WrestleMania uh, thirteen versus 
Bret Hart and Owen Hart from WrestleMania 10. So those are going to be the matchups tomorrow. If you are not a part of our Facebook group and you want to jump on uh, our WrestleMania chat today, had something like 800 uh, comments. So people were, were definitely talking about that show. And then you get to vote in these tournaments. So uh, fight the Fight Game Podcast Facebook group is in our Twitter uh, Twitter page. Uh, there's a there's a pinned tweet at Fight Game Media. Jason, plug your social media, and also I know you've been doing lots of interviews. Uh, so talk about that a little bit before we head out of here. Yeah. So my social media, you can follow me on Twitter at the letter J, my last name, Hagholm, H-A-G-H-O-L-M, and the number one, my Instagram is just J Hagholm. And I've been doing a lot of interviews for mixed martial artists on uh, our the company I'm working for, the MMA Chronicles, on their YouTube page. Uh, we just did an interview uh, literally before WrestleMania kicked off with uh, Justin Wenzel, a bantamweight for the LFA fighting organization who uh, he is now out, was out of a fight, was supposed to fight on Friday night in his home uh, city of Denver, Colorado. But coronavirus uh, pulled the plug on that. That's the second time for him that he's had a card go away from him, that not by his circumstances, the first where the LFA lost their TV deal with access before moving to Fight Pass and then now coronavirus. So, yeah, we've been doing a lot of interviews. I uh, did, just did an interview the other day with Anthony Romero, one of the top lightweight prospects, hoping to get on the Contender Series in, if it is up and running uh, this summer. But yeah, doing a lot of interviews, a lot of up and comers uh, coming up in the realm of MMA that you'll hopefully be hearing about uh, by 2021. All right, man. I want to thank you again for doing this. Uh, it was a fun. It was fun to talk to D. It is fun to talk to you. Uh, you and I did so many shows back in the day, so it was it was fun to do this again. Um, but uh, we'll be back. I think John should be available tomorrow night, so John and I will be back to recap WrestleMania Night Two. He'll probably also have some some thoughts on Night One uh, that we'll that we'll talk about too. But uh, but yeah, so this has been uh, this has been a wild week for me. But I appreciate Jason jumping in, and uh, we'll have another show Sunday night after night two. So, for Double G, for Jason, I should say, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.